You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Again, if you have your Bible, maybe you turn there to uh, Jonah 1. I hope the finger marks are on the edge of your Bible now, Jonah, so that it's easy to find and it just falls open there. Harder to do when it's in your phone, mind you, but all you have to do is push a button, of course. Anyway, as we saw um, this morning, uh, Jonah's confession did not mean that he was instantly forgiven and immediately reconciled to God. The storm did not die down. In fact, in the reading tonight, we discover that it got worse. It got wilder and wilder. And as I said this morning, there are many Christians who believe that forgiveness is the imperative while uh, punishment is optional. Biblical Christians must say against the spirit of the age that the exact opposite is the case. With God, it is justice that must be done, whereas forgiveness is entirely optional. As we said this morning, God's mercy is not given at the expense of his justice. And isn't that the whole point of the cross? Isn't that how we see God's justice and mercy brought together in the most amazing way? Because in the cross, we see God's love displayed so clearly. There's nowhere more clearly that God's love is displayed. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, gave him to death. But also, isn't that where we see God's justice displayed? It tells us, it reminds us that God doesn't treat sin lightly. Sin has got to be paid for. There's got to be a payment made. It's got to be covered. And it's covered through the death of his perfect son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with God, it is justice that must be done, whereas forgiveness is entirely optional. Jesus died to satisfy the perfect justice of God He died in the place of sinners, a substitute for sinners. But it's in the context of the necessary satisfaction of justice in Christ that God exercises his mercy, and he exercises that mercy freely and sovereignly. Romans 9.15 quotes a verse from the Old Testament, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on on whom I have compassion. No one can point to God and say, God, that's not fair. God is the God who decides what is fair. God knows what he is doing. He'll have compassion on whom he'll have compassion. He'll have mercy on whom he has mercy. Now, Jonah was not a new convert. As we have said in these studies, we have discovered that he was a backslidden believer. He had been a prophet of God for many years. He was not ignorant of the Lord. He was a theologian. Not just did he know the Lord, but he knew all about it. He had read everything that at that stage had been written. But like all Christians, even theologians who wander away from the Lord and are called back by his grace, he has to be uh, led back through the simple stages by which anyone would come to see the truth of God about his sinful state. 
there are three features about his return to the Lord that I want to think about for a few moments. And here's the first, recognizing God's justice. That's the first thing, recognizing God's justice. And there, there are three things I want you to see here under that. First of all, he, Jonah justified the anger of God and took the blame. You see it there in verse 12, at the end of verse 12, he says, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. He recognizes the justice of God and he takes the blame. He not only says he's to blame, he also says that God was righteous in dealing with him as he had. So he justified the anger of God and he took the blame personally. Secondly, he accepted without reservation the consequences of his action. Look at the beginning of verse 12. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. God's purpose here is to demonstrate to Jonah and to demonstrate to the sailors and to demonstrate to the world that the wages of sin is death. That's where it leads. So he justified the anger of God and took the blame. He accepted without reservation the consequences of his action. And thirdly, he anticipated the grace of God to the sailors. He says there, and it will become calm. And it will become calm. Jonah reserved no grace for himself, but he believed in a God of all grace. Jonah recognizes here God's justice. Second thing we see here is that the sailor's labor was in vain. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, instead of listening to what Jonah said, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. We have here, don't we, a picture of what most men do before they resort to God's remedy. A couple of things to notice. Firstly, sinners, when tossed upon the sea of conviction, make desperate efforts to save themselves. In the story here, we're told that these men rode hard. Even though Jonah told them, look, here's the solution. Pick me up, toss me over the side. No, they decided we'll try and do this ourselves. We'll try and save Jonah. So they rode, and they rode hard. They expended all their energy. They did their very best. They strained every sinew. And men and women... When a man is awakened to his need of salvation, he'll try by every means himself to please God through moral reformation, outward religion, orthodox doctrine, incessant prayers, and all of those, all of those, though he tries his hardest and does his best, all of those will fail, all of them. It says here, even though they tried hard, they could not. 
They could not. And man can never find peace with God by his own efforts. Why? Because it is not by works. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And you know, no matter how often I repeat that phrase, and I repeat that phrase quite a lot from pulpits, it's not by works. Still, so many people, probably the vast majority of people out there, still believe it is by works that you can work your passage. You can work your way to heaven. You can work your way into the favor of God by pleasing God, by doing the things that we ought to do and not doing the things that we ought not to do. But the Bible says it clearly and it says it simply. It is not by works. Not by works. So, firstly, sinners... When they're tossed about by conviction, make desperate efforts to save themselves. Secondly, the way of safety for sinners is to be found in the sacrifice of another on their behalf. And that's what's going to happen here. Jonah's going to be sacrificed so that these sailors might be saved. Now, leave out the fact that Jonah was a sinner. Of course he was a sinner. Nonetheless, he becomes a type for Christ. And all through the Old Testament, we come across these types for Christ. We see it again and again and again. You see it in the Exodus, you know. Whenever the children of Israel are under great pressure, what are they told to do? They're, so, they're to take a lamb without spot or blemish. <clears throat> they're to kill that lamb. They're to take the blood and put it on the lentils and the doorposts. And where the angel of death sees the blood, it'll pass over. Jesus arrives on the scene centuries later. What does, what does John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Lamb is a type of Christ. We see it in the story of Joseph as well. We see it in the story of Abraham and Isaac. We see it all through the Scriptures again and again, this type of Christ. And we see it here. We see it here. Substitution saves the sailors. And substitution saves sinners. Jesus Christ dies, and there is a calm. Conscience accuses no more. Judgment decides for and not against the sinner. Jonah recognizes God's justice here. The sailors labor in vain. Third thing I want you to notice from this passage is the pagan prayers in verse 14. Let's, let's read it, verse 14. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And there are three things I want you to notice about, about this prayer of the sailors. First of all, I want you to notice the object of their prayer. Oh, Lord. Do you see the way it's written? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Every time in the NIV that's used, it refers to the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Oh, Lord, Yahweh. 
the sailors call on God by a name that was unfamiliar to them. Contrast that to earlier in the chapter where the captain goes in to Jonah and he says, get up and call on your God. And and it's just with a small g. It's just your God. It's no different than any others. It's different now. They're referencing the God of the universe differently here. Oh, Lord. I think it's good to remind ourselves, isn't it, that there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved other than the name of the Lord Jesus. And we need to not be apologetic about that, that this is exclusive, that that there is no other way, neither by works nor by any other God, not by Muhammad or Allah or any other deity, so-called. There's only one way, and that's through the Lord Jesus. And the sailors here recognize Yahweh as the sovereign Lord. They say here, you have done as you pleased. O Lord, you have done as you pleased. So that's the object of their prayer. O Lord. Secondly, notice the nature of their prayer. There are a couple of things here to notice. It was, first of all, intensely earnest. It says here in the text, they cried. You know, they weren't, they weren't standing there going through some kind of formal prayer, you know, where there's no emotion involved, there's no passion involved. No, they're involved here, heart and soul. They're crying to God. They're desperate. That, that's what it means here. They're desperate. The, the, the language is that of earnest supplication. It was a cry to God for help. So it was intensely earnest, but secondly, it was wonderfully submissive. God would do as he pleased. They recognized that. When God's will is recognized, they must obey. So the nature of their prayer, intensely earnest, wonderfully submissive. The object of their prayer, O Lord. And thirdly, the purpose of their prayer. What is it they pray for? They pray for the preservation of their own life. Let us not perish for the life of this man. They recognize God as a just God and a holy God. They recognize that they're going to have to answer for this. So something has happened to these sailors. They recognize they're accountable to this God. And they're saying, God, don't hold this against us. Don't bring us to account for this. They don't want to be held guilty of murder. And so they're reluctant to cast him out. Now, you contrast that with Jonah's lack of compassion to heathen Nineveh. You know, these sailors are compassionate towards Jonah. They don't want to do this. Compare that to Jonah's lack of compassion to the, to the heathens of Nineveh. And so if it must be done, the sailors are praying to be forgiven. And so they throw him out. They toss him over the side. And it's followed immediately by a calm this raging sea that that was growing wilder and wilder and wilder suddenly calms. 
And, and you know, it, it's just done there with an economy of words, isn't it? Then they took Jonah and threw him, over the, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Now, that's just, that's just a phrase. The, the raging sea grew calm. I live beside the sea. And, and I love to go down in the winter when there's a storm and, and when there's a high tide. And I've said this before, it, it's such a startling thing. Standing there at the harbour at Port Stewart, you're on terra firma. It's pretty solid ground. But my knees are knocking whenever I see the, the seas coming out over the harbour wall. It's crashing up onto the street. Incredible power. And yet, it becomes calm. Miraculous. Completely miraculous. When storms are over, though, and men are delivered, it's common for them to return to indifference, to apathy, and even to ridicule. We've seen it again and again. You know, someone is, is caught between a rock and a hard place, and suddenly they discover the power of prayer, and they pray to God for them to... Listen, we've all been there. Do you remember at school, whenever you were faced with exams and you hadn't done the work? Well, I'll speak for myself. There's some of you, and exams were no bother to you, but for me, they were a big problem. And I, the promises I made to God, if he would only get me through, and as soon as I was through the exam, and I mean through the exam, not necessarily passed, just get me through it. As soon as it was over, forgot all about it. But people have been in much tougher situations than that, and they've made promises to God and instantly forgotten them. But not here. Not here. These men, I believe with all my heart, were converted. And the only sure and permanent sign of conversion that I know is a holy life. Do you remember what Jesus said? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. By their fruit, you'll know them. By their fruit, you'll know them. Well, what fruit is there in the lives of these sailors? Well, the first thing we can say is that these men feared God. Look at verse 16. At this the men, well, we'll read 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Now remember, these are seasoned sailors. They've never seen this before. They've never seen a storm quenched so quickly. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They greatly feared the Lord. The storm was over, and they were delivered from death. But they don't go back to their former ways. Wonderful events had happened. Wind and storm had fulfilled the word of Jehovah, and they were in awe of him. They feared Jehovah. Secondly, they offered sacrifice. They slaughtered a lamb or a fowl on board to express their faith. They, they maybe had little or no understanding of the Jewish sacrificial system. That's why we don't know the extent of what Jonah said to them, the extent of, of the, the gospel that he proclaimed to them. But God accepted their offering. They feared God. They offered a sacrifice. And the third thing we notice is they made vows to God. They combined faith and works. 
and many who escape danger make vows and then forget their vows. God requires present promise and future performance, a dedication of the whole life to him. If only Jonah could be in the deck now. If only Jonah could see what is going on, the storm is over, and be on the deck of that ship. He had run to the ends of the earth to avoid seeing the heathen converted. And what does he get as a result? He gets heathen converted. What's more, he gets sailors traveling to the uttermost part of the earth, and they take with them the gospel that salvation comes from the Lord, which Jonah comes to understand in chapter 2, verse 9, as we'll see, God willing. All the way to Spain, a far greater distance than Nineveh, the gospel travels with these sailors. These sailors may have been the very ones that prepared the way for the spread of the gospel of the new covenant to the furthest extremes of the Gentile world. Some hundreds of years later, we read of Paul, the apostle's determination to get to Spain, Tarshish, with Rome in his estimation being only an intermediate stopping point along the way. So what do we learn from Jonah's flight and the Lord's pursuit? Well, we learn that God pursues one man to the death, that he might bless the many. God's grace has has a persistence that exceeds all human determination. God hounds Jonah to the ends of the earth that he might bless the nations. Jesus, described as one greater than Jonah in the Gospels. Do you ever notice that? All the people you know who, who doubt the existence of Jonah and doubt the fact that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, how do they explain the Lord Jesus referring to Jonah being in the fish for three days? You know, they say, oh, I don't know, but Jesus was a good man. He was a great teacher. Well, if Jonah didn't exist and fish didn't swallow Jonah, then Jesus is a liar. They never seem to make that connection. Anyway, that's an aside. Jesus is described in the gospel as one greater than Jonah. And Jesus displays the love of God that saves sinners even more clearly. God pursued his own son even to the death so that many from every nation, tongue, and tribe under heaven might be saved. It's not an evil you're escaping when you flee from the will of God. His will for those who trust him always is an embodiment of his perfect love. So if there are any here this evening and you're a Christian and you've been running from God for whatever reason, here's a word for you. Stop running because there's no escape. God will come after you until he finds you and draws you back. Give yourself now to the doing of his will. One last wee thought. I was just thinking about this this afternoon. 
couldn't help wondering, I wonder what Jonah was thinking whenever he was saying to them on the deck, look, toss me over the side. I wonder what was going through his mind regarding his relationship to God. You know, was he, was he thinking, well, it's all done. My life's over. This is it. I'm, I'm just useless. So cast me into the sea. I'm a waste of space. Wonders that what he was thinking. I, I don't think so. I, I, I like to think and believe and prefer to think of him as coming to understand and see as he has never seen before the glory and sovereignty of the God that he serves. That this mighty God who made the land and the sea is interested in him as an individual and has caused all this to happen to come after him as an individual. And not only to come after him because he has seen the change in the sailors' lives as well, but to come after these pagan sailors as well. And therefore, he's thinking, even though these men are tossing me over the side, perhaps God is not finished with me yet. And next time, we'll see, God willing, that that is true, that God is not finished with Jonah yet. We'll leave it there this evening. Let's pray.